The following is a listener-supported ministry from the Grace Evangelical Society. Welcome to Grace in Focus and to a new year of broadcasting and podcasting. We are so glad that you are with us. As today we finish up a series we've been doing about testimonies, Catherine Wright and Bob Wilkin have been presenting this. Today they want to just give a summary and a conclusion to remind us about what is really important when we are giving our testimony. Our website is faithalone.org, and being a new year, I hope that you'll make a resolution that you'll come with us to our national conference, which will be happening, Lord willing, May the 23rd to the 25th of this year, 2023. It is a great place to meet other people who love the Lord and to hear free grace teaching that honors the Lord. Find out details at faithalone.org. Now let's get on with our discussion for the day. Here are Bob and Catherine. And Catherine, I thought we'd try to wrap up our discussion of testimonies. Yeah. I think you had a kind of a summary. Well, to kind of bring it full circle, we started this series talking about my friend and how she was concerned for her daughter and that her daughter didn't have a big enough testimony. I hope that through this conversation, what we've pointed out is that the believer needs to understand that they can never lose their salvation, that the moment they believe in Jesus for eternal life, that is eternal and can never be lost. Right. With the typical testimony, so often we're pointing to our works as our source of assurance. That's a problem because our works will always foster doubt and will rob people of their assurance. But if I could kind of draw another issue out here is that not only do these testimonies often point to the works for the source of assurance rather than Christ, it's even a little bit more insidious, I think, than that, in that we also are pointing to our testimonies as our source of assurance. Right. We could take it a step further. It's not just the works, but it's the testimony. So my story of my friend, she's concerned because her daughter's testimony isn't big enough. So the source of assurance there is in the testimony itself, that it's too small. I think that is ultimately what's happening a lot is people are looking for an experience or this big moment, which we we even talked about the date, right? People really emphasize a date. And so it's not just that they're looking for this external change, but they're looking for a moment because they want to be able to say, ah, that was it rather than pointing to Christ. And I think that ultimately needs to be refocused. We need to focus what it is that our source of assurance, where it really truly is. And it's not in ourselves or a moment or our change or any of these things. It's in the promise of Christ. Yeah, I really like that. You're pointing out that the traditional one, Mm -hmm. two, three approach to testimonies where before I came to Christ, this is how my works looked. Right. When I came to Christ, well, this is what I was anticipating doing the rest of my life. And since then, here's what my works look like. Correct. The testimony that you're suggesting is, okay, before I came to Christ, I believed this. And when I came to faith in Christ, I believed that simply by faith in him, I have everlasting life. Right. And your part three is what persuaded me, right? Right, was, with the evidence. Yeah. What's the evidence? And I have a, a quote here. It's a sad quote, okay? This yeah. is a sad example. We talked about hitting the hornet's nest. I think mm-hmm. I might be doing it again with this example. Yeah. But I think it shows where the problem lies. So this is a quote from Fanny Crosby. Do you know the hymn, hymn right, writer? Right, right. Blind. She wrote 5,000. Yeah, like 5, she wrote like all of them. <laughs> if you grew up in a Baptist church, I'm sure you know Blessed Assurance, which is one of my favorites. It's, she's an incredible writer. 
But she gave her testimony in a, in a biography. This is what she said. She was going to revival meetings. There was a revival going on, and so she was going. And she said, I sought peace. This is her speaking. I could not find the joy I craved until one evening, November 20th, 1850, I arose and went forward alone. After praying, the congregation began to sing the old hymn, Alas, and Did My Savior Bleed. They came to the last stanza of it. And then she said, I surrendered myself to the Savior, and my very soul was flooded with celestial light. I sprang to my feet shouting hallelujah. The reason I I give this example is we're seeing both of the issues as I look at testimonies. The first one is she says that she went forward and she surrendered herself. So at no point does she talk about the gift of eternal life. At no point does she talk about assurance. At no point does she talk about Christ giving her this life. It's she's giving her life, right? It's I'm surrendering my life to him, not he's giving his life to me. That's good. And so that's problem number one. It's bad, but that's the distinction uh, uh, we want to make. And then the other thing that I think is maybe we haven't talked about as much or as clearly and why I want to emphasize it here is that she talks about her soul being flooded with the celestial light. And that sounds so ethereal and, and, you know, it's beautiful and it's kind of this, but it's so abstract. And so if you're speaking to an unbeliever and you're pointing to some sort of experience like that, which is very common in these testimonies, how does an unbeliever achieve that? How does an unbeliever say, okay, I want to be flooded with celestial light. They don't, that's so abstracted that it becomes meaningless and it becomes like this constant unfulfilled goal that they can't conjure up, right? They can't make this experience happen for themselves. And so not only do testimonies like this represent an issue when it's talking about the works and surrendering and this life change, but on the other side of that spectrum, it's it's a problem because we're pointing people to an experience rather than Christ as well. Right. Now, hopefully Fanny Crosby, subsequent to this point, right. came to faith and mm-hmm. her hymn, Blessed Assurance, seemingly would suggest that unless her assurance was based on a feeling. Right. But I remember Dr. Norm Geisler. I only had him for one class at Dallas Seminary, but I had him for a class on apologetics, the defense of the faith. He made the comment, you know, the song we sing about you ask me how I know he lives he lives within my heart. Yeah, mm-hmm. He said, basically, that's heresy. The Buddhist will tell you they know Buddhism is true because they've had an experience. And yeah. the Mormon will tell you that Mormonism is true because they've had the burning in the bosom, right? They've had an experience. Mm-hmm. And he said pretty much every religion in the world promises a feeling. And he said that line should say, you ask me how I know he lives. The Bible tells me so. Exactly. And the same thing is true with Fanny Crosby's testimony. Mm-hmm. It should have been, okay, going forward is neither here nor there, but it should have been, I recognized at that point that Jesus guaranteed me everlasting life simply by faith in him. Right. And I had joy when I realized I was secure forever. Right. There's nothing wrong with the joy. No. But the joy has to be linked to truth. Truth. And especially the surrender. There's nothing wrong with surrendering to Jesus either, mm-hmm. but that's really a discipleship issue. Right. Although an unbeliever can surrender to Jesus and then later come to faith. But it's sad, I think, when people's testimonies center around works or feelings. Yes. And in this case, see, when she says, I surrendered, it's almost like a pledge to do works. Correct. Really, I think it's kind of an interesting study because this is in 1850. 
and we look at churches today and what do we what do we see? We we see a very similar setup because she's talking about going to church and the music is playing and it's a great song. And she goes forward and it's in the third line of that stanza and then it's just this emotional build up. And I think we see a very similar scenario in a lot of our churches today where we put people in this emotional situation where they are basing their salvation ultimately on that emotional experience rather than in the than the truth of what scriptures are saying and we need to be very careful with that because our emotions are deceptive yeah we we had a booklet in campus crusade for christ how a person could be sure mm-hmm. it was a confusing booklet because it basically said when you invite jesus into your heart well, then you should be certain that he's there and he's never leaving. And so you can rejoice in that and thank God for that. And so the booklet said, let's say you've done this in the past, but you're having doubts. Go ahead and do this one last time. Mm -hmm. But this one is serious now. (laughs) I'm really inviting him in. Right. And the problem with this approach is the next time they lack assurance, they do it again. I was about to say rededications, right? We hear this all the time, or I got saved again, or, you know, I had to get baptized again because I wasn't truly saved the first time I did it. And so people have been baptized 15 times. Literally, I mean, this happens. Oh, yeah. It's heartbreaking. And so, yes, it impacts people severely. That's why I think this conversation is important. I also just wanted to talk about real briefly the idea of children you know, I think a lot of our listeners, at least I hope, you know, are parents and that they, they're raising kids and they're, they are an example. Going back to the story of my friend, as parents, they have such a great opportunity to exemplify assurance, you know, to, to say, no, if you believe this, you have it. And I don't worry, even if you fail, even if because your child's going to fail. And I think as parents, we really have an opportunity to be an example for the, those kids and, and being confident that, hey, this is what the Lord has promised, and, and we're sure, and you can be sure too. I think that what's funny to me is, you know, in the passage in Matthew 19, when children come to the Lord, and the disciples rebuke and say, get away, go go away, we don't, we don't want you here. And, and right. then the Lord says, no, I want the children here. I think sometimes we do the exact same thing. And I want to point out, it's the disciples who are doing this. It's believers who are diminishing the children. Don't we do that in our churches when it comes to testimonies about who we point to as like the best example? We go to the adult and the big stories and the celestial light or, you know, these big moments rather than saying, no, let's look to children and show that it really is just by simple faith. And they are our example. And those are the ones that's the preference of our Savior. Abraham's testimony can be summed up in one verse, right? He believed and it was accounted to him as righteousness. That's all that's necessary. Lots of testimonies. They're looking for the big testimony, right? Mm -hmm. They do have a big testimony. But what it is, it's a big me and a little God. But the other kind of testimony is a little me and a big God. Mm -hmm. Really, it's not about me at all. It's just about God and the promise he made and that he's trustworthy. And all I'm doing is believing the promise. That's exactly right. And so in this one, who's big? Is it God that's big or is it me that's big? And when you point at your works, it ultimately sounds like you're saying, this is something I did because God doesn't force us to do these works. Right. What we need to recognize, it's not about our sins. It's not about our righteousness. Mm -hmm. It's not about comparing our good deeds and bad deeds. It's not about comparing ourselves, not even comparing ourselves with Jesus. 
only in the sense that we recognize we fall short of the glory of God and that only by faith in Christ do we have everlasting life. So, well, we better wrap up. Thank you, Catherine. This is great stuff. And I'd encourage all of you to get your testimony clear. Yeah. Point to Jesus. Don't point to yourself. Point to his promise of life. And whatever you do, keep grace in focus. Thank you both for that great discussion. Did you miss an episode of Grace in Focus that you really wanted to hear? Just come to faithalone.org. That's faithalone.org. We have all our past episodes right there on the site. In addition, we have all kinds of free resources available for you. It's all designed to help you mature and grow in your understanding of Scripture. So come visit us at faithalone.org. That's faithalone.org. On this program, we keep our requests for financial partners to a minimum. But if you are interested in becoming a financial partner with Grace in Focus, you can find out how to do that at faithalone.org. Our team is really great about answering questions, comments, and feedback. If you've got some, we hope to hear from you. Let me give you our email address so you can do just that. It's radio at faithalone.org. That's radio at faithalone.org. On the next Grace in Focus, we go back to a Q&A format, and we will entertain a question about Bible translations and possible theological bias. Join us next time for Grace in Focus. This is the Grace Evangelical Society. Until next time, let's keep grace in focus. The proceeding has been a listener-supported ministry from the Grace Evangelical Society.